everyone should realize that like your dream is like is your dream or like your rich life is your rich life and you should define that however you want so like i'm about to say a couple cool experiences that i've had but like honestly for me it's more of just about waking up in different places around the world and having very normal days but just being somewhere that just would blow most of my friends minds welcome to smart cleaning school are you ready to reshape your mindset and grow your cleaning business? Step into today's class with your guide, Ken Carfagno, so you can win for your family. Welcome back to the Smart Cleaning School podcast, helping cleaning professionals make the impact that they were meant to make. I love interviewing successful and amazing people in this amazing industry. We have had some great guests from both commercial residential i'm excited to have another guest that's coming from the residential side but he's coming from the software into things so welcome to the stage mr amar ghost now i'm saying your name right correct ghosts or is it slightly off the, the, the last name is actually gauche it's pronounced with an h at the end but there's oh. no way you could know that phonetically like from from reading it so without like asking me ahead of time there was no way so you know Okay. It's, it's just a weird, it's just a weird spelling. All right. So this is a really <laughs> important question. Inquiring minds want to know, Amar Goch, Yes. in all of your profiles everywhere, you are a, a well uh, endowed on the head, full of hair type of a guy. Where did your hair go and why is there no, wait, what happened? I just, at some point, I... I like cut it, I cut it short. So I, I used to have my, my hair like quite short when I was like, when I, when I was younger. So like for me, this isn't like, this isn't all that, like all that different, but it was mainly that recently I've been spending time in cold weather. And so I've been wearing a lot more beanies and caps and then the hair gets in the way. And then also it's like, no matter what I do with my hair, once I put on a beanie, it ruins whatever I was trying to do, to do with it. And it doesn't like, um, it doesn't really come down nice. I get really like curly hair. So it's really great if I'm in hot weather all the time. But as soon as I go into like cold weather, I just hate having my hair long. So, okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> so why you're, you're a guy that's, I always see in like Thailand or at the base of a volcano. Why are you in cold weather? Like that's just not right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those funny things. If you told me in my twenties that I, uh, that I'd be moving somewhere cold, I would have been like, no, like that's like the point of me working as hard as I have has been so that I don't have to like move somewhere cold, but you know, you get older, you fall in love. She happens to be from the UK and now I'm moving uh, to the UK. So ah, okay. That's that's the reason. And I was yeah, gonna yeah. I was gonna get to that because the first couple of years I knew of you, knew you, you were the single guy running around and just living this life of freedom that many just don't even comprehend. Tell me I mean, we'll back up and I want to hit you know, hear the Amar childhood stories and stuff, but now let me just hear just current day perspective on just single life versus being married now what about two years year and a half two years um yeah a little, little bit a little bit longer i think it's been like three okay um yeah like three three years that we've been that we've been like married and everything um i mean i think it's more just a question of like kind of like a life with like responsibilities and a life without responsibilities at least that's how it kind of like felt like felt for me um 
that yeah for like for for a while there when i first started zenmates we started zenmates in 2013 and i started traveling the world in 2015 until about 2018 so the first like 3 years <clears throat> that the lifestyle that i was actually living was more about saving money and allowing the company to reinvest as much money as we possibly could back into our into our business than it was for like for for anything else so like i think people think that travel's very expensive and travel definitely can be but travel's really expensive when you have a bunch of things that you're committed to at home and you can't travel like flexibly and whether you go for a month or for like 6 months you're still paying expenses at home and mm -hmm. all like and all this stuff so yeah i mean i just think that it's like that that it's changed and like for us it's just kind of life circumstances like has changed we're looking at having a family in the next couple of years so now it's gone from like oh like you know where do we want to spend our time to like where do we want to raise kids and what kind of parents do we want to be around and so now all of a sudden it's like being in thailand you know it's attractive life is really like is really great there but yeah. like we don't speak thai like we're not really that interested in our kids speaking thai and so all of a sudden it changes kind of the questions that are being asked and the answers and and all all that so yeah. i mean i highly recommend it right like i highly recommend it for anyone if you have the opportunity is go and travel for like for a couple of years cuz like the biggest thing for me actually is you know i'm back in palo alto right now like you know while we're doing this interview which is where i grew up and one of the things that i actually appreciate the most about traveling for what was it six seven years that i was traveling like a lot on the uh, on the road is not just seeing other places but the appreciation that it's actually given me for home and that's something i think that's really like underrated that like i think a lot of people if you go and you travel the world for a year or two you might love it you might not love it. It depends on where you go. It depends on what experiences like you have. But I guarantee you that when you come back, you'll have just a different appreciation for for you know wherever wherever you've been staying up until now. So again, you're now moving or moved in at the UK. That's the next spot and probably the next um, decade of I your life literally applied for the visa like three or four days ago so i've okay. got a couple months now to um to wait but um just like two weeks ago i was in the uk moving my wife into um to, okay. like, to her new place so what's, she's now based there yeah what's her name again fran fran and so she's born and raised in the uk she's yes she's british okay so how did you and fran meet through the team so we met uh we met in thailand at a in a smoothie shop in thailand <laughs> so um yeah just like uh the neighbor the neighborhood smoothie shop that um that i would go to like most uh most days either in the morning or in the evening like after um after like my workout i pretty much went there and um and she walked in like you know a few minutes after me while i was sitting there with my with my smoothie and like we struck up a conversation she was literally in the middle of a breakup like the guy had like just like stormed out of like the apartment and she was like i don't really feel like this is great energy and so she like you know went downstairs to the smoothie shop and so that's when we met and so then we went we both knew the smoothie shop owner because you know it's thailand so everything is just like very like locally owned and everything so we both knew the owner who was closing up we go to like the bar a couple doors down or whatever have like a nice conversation and then go our separate ways and don't think about it like again 
almost a year later. Oh wow! I'm sitting in the same bar, and she's walking by like with 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 her her bike, and like I send her a message like on like on on Facebook or whatever, and turns out like it was it was her. I wasn't sure if it was her, and she turns around and comes back, meets me at like the same bar that we'd like essentially like had a conversation at like a year before, and then we've just been we've been dating ever since. Do you see the movie five years ago? Do you ever see the movie Serendipity? Uh, I didn't know. I, I I know I know the basic plot though. Yeah, <laughs> it, it has a serendipity sound. It's John Cusack was the actor there, and Kate Beckinsale was the actress. Yeah, and it's a chance meeting. Yeah, and then there's like the book. That he, she like puts her phone number in a book or on a dollar bill, and it's like if it's meant to be, you'll find this book. He's like, seriously, I don't want to look for the book. He's like, no, it's meant to yeah. be. And sure enough, <laughs> at the end of the movie, it's like there's the that all comes together. Yep. It's uh is pretty pretty cool. That sounds like that's a great story. Why was she there in Thailand yeah. being from UK? What's her story? So she uh she essentially she went to uh to Indonesia for like a yoga retreat. She, she essentially had like time off work or maybe she'd like she'd quit her job, but she she decided to just like go to Indonesia on you know kind of like you know very kind of short notice and she decided to go there um and to do a retreat for i think it was about a month in bali and i think that while she was there she just kind of realized that oh like right now while i'm in the uk the only thing i'm doing for money is like taking photographs well it's like mm -hmm. i can do that out here i have my camera with me and everything and so she essentially just didn't get on the flight the flight back and so that i think was in 2017 i think so that was like yeah about about a like two years or so after after I had started like started traveling and so um <clears throat> yeah for her like it actually like it didn't didn't work out entirely the same way that she had to get um she had to get like bailed out by by her parents one time to essentially be able to like to to come like to come home um and and everything um but she ended up like in that time just sort of falling in love with sort of like that potential like the lifestyle and stuff she was single at the time like as well and um essentially came back to the uk and was just like on a mission right saved up a bunch of money and then went back out to thailand this time had a job lined up so she was teaching english online when we met so that's what a lot of people do to like kind of start their nomad like, in like ESL. Nomad journey yeah okay. yeah exactly right they'll, they'll be teaching like kids in china right like um young children or i've got friends that teach like professionals how to do like you know how to write better like english professionally and like and stuff like stuff like that um there's a pretty wide like kind of like kind of market there but you have a lot of folks that that's how they start out as like digital nomads and then over time they you know develop other skills they get into other things i think you were mm. saying i think your son is doing like you know the podcast editing and stuff like that so you have a lot of people that just like they find some some way to be nomadic and to be like location independent or whatever initially even if it doesn't make a lot of money and then they find more and more ways to make mm. more money hopefully without having to trade in their like location independence or like you know their their hours right oftentimes you do have to spend a bunch of hours in the beginning but you know hey can't have everything right <laughs> i i'm fascinated by the nomadic life and the, the the life that you've led from this 2015 to I mean, probably, probably 2020 when things shut down 
So yeah. I want I want to touch on some super fun things of like that time period. And then I want to go back. So keep a bookmark. I'm going to ask you this question. I know it's going to oh, make, make you smile, but don't answer it yet. I want to know yeah. how you found the four-hour four hour work week and how it impacted you. We're going to come back to that. But now looking, oh, looking beyond it, 2015 and on, tell yeah. me, tell me some, give me a highlight reel. Like just tell me, tell us some of your favorite places in the world that you've been, best experiences, things that, that you just, it, like people are that are sitting in a desk job or stuck in a cleaning business and they don't get to do these things. And they're, oh, I wish I could do like, what are the, what are the top things to motivate people? Like, man, there's some crazy stuff out there. You're missing it. Yeah. Well, okay. So there's a couple different, different answers. I'll try to try to keep it like, keep it quick there. But I think one, one thing is everyone should realize that like, your dream is like is your dream or like your rich life is your rich life and you should define that however you want so like i'm about to say a couple cool experiences that i've had but like honestly for me it's more of just about waking up in different places around the world and having very normal days but just being somewhere that just would blow most of my friends minds right of it's just like oh yeah like yeah, I just took a couple work calls and then went out for tacos and then like, you know, did this and then like, you know, had some tequila. It's like, oh, where are you? Like, oh, Mexico City, right? Like, you know, to me, it's just there's something that like, there's something very like cool about like about about like that. And that if you're doing the nomad thing, it's not as much like travel and like almost like vacation as um, as a lot of the intense travel that people will like will typically do um, on like on vacation. But like highlights for me would be so there's always something really cool about like Zenmade getting like a new client when like me and like other team members are doing something just like, you know, different or like crazy, right? And so like, uh, you know, a couple folks might have listened to the podcast interview that you did with Courtney, where she mentioned the, uh, the volcano like retreat. So for a couple of years, I was hosting retreats on this volcano in Italy, where there was like no internet, you were pretty much disconnected from the rest of the world. There's like, 400 people, I think it's 350 people that live on this island all year round. And then like it goes up to closer to like a thousand during the summer months and goes back down to 350 during the winter months when the weather's like not great. But it's literally the most active volcano in the world. So it erupts every 20 minutes. Right. Oh, and so nice. like yeah, right. And so you hike up to the top. And so what's funny is that it actually makes it surprisingly safe because what makes volcanoes dangerous is when there's a big pressure buildup and then there's a huge like eruption that, you know, sends out, you know, a bunch of steam or lava in like in all directions. So this, like, because it erupts every 20 minutes, it's every like maybe five to 10 years that there's a big enough eruption that any lava reaches like the sea. So that's like an example, right? Um, just being in the countryside like in pie and stuff like that um and you're in thailand pie is a is a is a place in, in in thailand up in northern thailand where it's just like you know you're just looking out at like rice fields and like just green forest for as far as like as the eye can see right and so there's something very cool about like waking up like in those like in those places and I don't know. My wife thinks that it's like, that it's a bit like crazy. Like to her, it's like the point of being there. It's like being there. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like the point of being here is to like, you know, do a quick demo call and then be done with the demo <laughs> call and then to like 
look out at like at this, you know, like I don't want to just kind of be bored. Like, I don't know, like the whole idea of like sitting at a beach working on like your laptop, or not even working at your laptop, but like sitting at a beach, just like sipping pina coladas just sounds boring to me. Right. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not like a workaholic, but like, you know, I want to work a couple hours a day. So <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. There's a lot, a lot of things like that. I mean, the other just cool thing is just, like, I'm sure one thing, I, I'm sure that you've got a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening to this, um, to this podcast that hear about different events that they want to go to. And one of the things about being a nomad is just having the freedom to do that is, you know, just like in the next couple of months, I'm going to like an event in Nashville, I'm going to one in Mexico City, I'm going to one like in Denver. And it's just like the kind of thing where I can, I can just do that, you know, and like, granted, like, you know, in the past, I didn't have the money to actually do that. But just because I'm a nomad, it's just like, it's built into my lifestyle, that I can just go and like attend these, um, these different things. And I think a lot of people, it's like, oh, like, you know, must be nice to be able to go to like, you know, the ARCSI conference every year. And it's like, yeah, it is. It, it really, it really is nice to be able to, to go to that. And it's something that as a business owner, we should all be like aspiring to. That was super fun. Do you scuba dive? No, I do not. I uh, I'm not not a fan of underwater water of water. Really, open, yeah, yeah, of water. <laughs> I I fun yeah. fact. I I am. I'm a card carrying Patty member. I'm I'm probably okay. probably expired, but we had done diving in Fiji before yeah. we were married, so we did dives there. Okay, and back when we, when we got back from Fiji, this is uh 20 years ago. I remember, yeah. and so the, the part of the thing that kind of cap, captivated my interest in like what you were doing, we used to have yeah. a list on our wall. It was like a bucket list mm -hmm. of, of dive sites we wanted to go to. And I remember having yeah. like number one and two was Phuket and Bali. They were so yeah. up there and I, we never yeah. made it. And we haven't, we, we, we got married, had kids. We haven't gone scuba diving since, but it's still something I love to do. Like what's, mm -hmm. the, what's that community in Thailand, the scuba, the scuba community like? Are you familiar with it much? Um, a, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you get a lot of, um, it's a lot of people kind of going through like passing through where you just get a lot of people that will be there for like, you know, a month at a time, right? Or like maybe a week, right? Or like sometimes like the instructors are only there for like two or three months, and they're moving on like to the to the next like the next place. But from what I've seen, it's a very, very like welcoming like community that it that like you know you can pretty much show up to any hot like kind of like kind of dive spot mm. you you know book like a tour, and you know all the locals, all the people in Thailand are so friendly. Um, you're going to be really close to uh, like especially if you're in Bali, you're going to be quite close to Australia, so you tend to get a lot of Australian oh, yeah. um, like uh, instructors and stuff, right? So they're oftentimes like very, very like well qualified. Usually pretty funny. It's just usually like a really, a really good like good time. Um, there's there's quite a bit of overlap between good good spots for like scuba and like diving and all of that, and good like nomad spots, right? That if you have enough foreigners that are coming Coming into an area for long enough, mm -hmm. eventually that place gets the money, gets the infrastructure, gets good Wi-Fi, and then at some point nomads begin to go there, right? But the, the Wi-Fi always has to lead the way for the nomads, you know? The scuba uh... people will go there for a week, even if there's no Wi-Fi, if it's really great, right? But like one thing always leads to another. It's one of the reasons that like surf spots often become a nomad hotspots, even though like most nomads don't surf. But same reason that'll make a place great for surfing will make it good for nomads. Yeah, that's really cool. There's probably some underground 
kind of a network of like these are the places to go that you probably can follow and there's a community of nomads i bet that you're you got all these guys in different countries like i'm i'm assuming right some kind of community you you can it, it depends oh yeah i mean there's definitely lots of community and like yeah i i have a community that like it, it's kind of strange because like these days a lot of my like best friends you know they don't blink an eye when they hear what i'm doing anymore right they're like oh yeah that's cool like i did that like last year or like or whatever right it's like i'm going to mexico city for a month right and my you know stuff like stuff like that um so there's definitely a very strong community of um of, of nomads what i've found personally though and like i'm probably just quite boring in like the way that like that i travel but I really like going to like the well-established places. Like you can mm. find out what's like the hot up and coming spot. But to me, hot up and coming means there's still basic things that are missing. Yeah. And the question is what, right? Because if they weren't missing, if they were all already there, then I would have already heard of this place. And like, we'd all already like already be there, yeah. right? And so I'm not the one who like goes early. I wait until my friends have been going for like a season or two. And then I'm like, okay, I'll go check it out with you guys this year. So yeah, we did. I did a month in Europe after college and, and got like the let's go book and like, here's, here's all the hostels. And I went for like yeah. two, two weeks by myself and it was so cool. Just like going Barcelona and around Spain yeah. and Italy and France and just popping into corner stores and picking up a block of cheese and meat yeah. and a bottle of wine and sitting on a beach. Yeah. That was like... Yeah. And then my wife, girlfriend at the time, came down. We spent a few weeks together in Switzerland, Germany. Like that was some of the best stuff. And yeah. I got that that desire for travel. Like you said, hey, it's not for everyone. You define your freedom. Like that was something that I really related to. So when I see the stuff you're mm -hmm. doing, I'm like, this is really cool. Yeah. All right. I, I got a, I got a bunch of stuff here. Okay, this is a random question. I got uh, go for it. Elephant rides, Thailand, overrated or cool? If you go to the well, so, so elephant rides tend to not be. Um, you got to go to like to the right places that you want to go to, like the, the the sanctuaries or like the rescue places, because a lot of the a lot of the elephants in Thailand are like are mistreated, right? A lot of them they're not doing anything that you're seeing them do, particularly like, performing ones are not doing anything because they want to. It's because you know mm. they've been like incentivized to not be beat if they if they don't like misbehave when people are like are watching and like and, and whatever so like um i had actually never gone i mean i've been going to thailand for for seven years and just recently went to one of the elephant like sanctuaries for the very very first time but like because we had friends coming in from the uk that wanted to do like all of that stuff <laughs> and it was really cool like we really really recommend it um but yeah the elephant rides are definitely more like more and more questionable particularly i think it's particularly if they've got uh, i think it's like specifically if they've got like um like a saddle or something i think that's particularly bad for like for their for their backs i mean if they get wild and you fall off they stampede you're dead <laughs> yeah oh yeah oh yeah yeah no they're, they're they're gentle giants but like they're they're, they're still giants. giants like we weren't yeah we we weren't we weren't with any any big ones and these these guys were all you know like one and a half size like times me like the smallest one was about one and a half size like time me i mean like you you saw where like they're all just gently eating and then uh like the little one just like decided like oh i actually want to go and join like you know this other elephant and eat what he's eating or whatever and it was like you know they're gentle 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 and then like this one didn't get aggressive or anything but he just decided where he was going 
and that was it, right? Like everyone like had to clear out, right? Like, like you know, he just started gently pushing everyone out of the way and going exactly where he wanted to go through this crowd of people. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Another random one. You mentioned about something about, a, is there a fear of water swimming? What's going on with that? You, you didn't want to do diving because? Um, yeah, it's just not something... Um, yeah, I think grow, growing up, I never really enjoyed um, enjoyed swimming or enjoyed like water, and now it's just something. Yeah, it's just not something that I like that 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 I enjoy. Um, I have gotten a lot better at swimming. That we did have a swimming pool in Bali for uh, like three months, and I made it a point to swim every single day. Worked on my technique, and so now like I'm much more comfortable. Okay. Like, um, or I'm not not much more comfortable. I'm much more confident being out like out in the water, but. Uh, yeah, funny a funny story for for you. Uh, yeah, bring is it. The first first time that I went uh, I went uh, snorkeling, I told my friends that I wasn't very comfortable in the water, but I was like, but I can swim. Like I'm down to try this. Go into the water, and um, and put my my head under, and you know I like I have my my eyes closed. I take a breath. I open my eyes, so I'm like looking down at like at the ocean like floor and uh proceed to like take a breath and like i just have like a straight on like panic attack like i don't have panic attacks i don't have like anxiety attacks it's like the only thing is like with public speaking i'll like i always like sweat through my armpits even though i don't feel like, yeah me too anymore yeah, yeah right on a podcast so, interview i do too <laughs> yeah same why. exactly exactly and, yeah exactly and so so it's like the one time like should we take a pause for me. Should, we, should we both take a pause and show the camera <laughs> This has never been done on a Mine podcast. Yeah. yeah. I'm, wearing, I'm wearing black, so it yeah. doesn't show. It's official. Um, okay, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's one of like the few times that my body is, is like almost like completely betrayed, like kind of like kind of my like my, my emotions or like or whatever. So I like look down and like take a breath with my eyes open for the first time. And so like, you know, my brain is essentially like Hey, like we're not supposed to be doing this. Like you're not supposed to be looking down in water and breathing. So I have like a full on like panic attack. Like I pull my head out of the out of the water, like can't breathe. You know, like gasping for like for for air or whatever. And like you know, my girlfriend at the time comes running over and it's like, what's wrong? Like blah blah blah. And they, I'm just like, oh, like you know, I panicked or whatever. <laughs> so the worst thing about all of this, <laughs> I'm still I'm still standing in the sand. I've got water at like waist height. And just put my head underneath, but I'm still standing in the That's sand hard. having this panic attack. So, <laughs> but but I did I did actually go snorkeling like in like what was it like couple meter deep, like seven or eight meter deep. So what like twenty twenty feet deep, something like that. Um, in the Philippines, like maybe two weeks after after that. So I was like, I, I still wasn't the most comfortable, and I did it with like with a life jacket. But I was like, okay, like. I kind of like conquered that, but yeah, no, I just have no, no interest in like, in, in like lakes, oceans, like really in like any sort of open water. I'm fine. Like in a pool, I can swim. Like if I fell out of like a boat, but just like jumping out of a boat, like into water just is not my idea of like a, of a good time. So we jump I'm, out of an airplane. About the, we jump, jump out of an airplane. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> I, I you, you would hear some of my stories. The, the, the panic thing with scuba, as yeah. you can imagine, it is way more common than you would think. So what you just shared, yeah. I mean, it's the 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 image of you standing waist deep in water and almost drowning is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. 
but it was it was I your wasn't story. close to drowning no no you're, it was just you're, a panic attack my body thought two, i was two feet above yeah. your two feet of, of your body is above the water yeah. you're like <laughs> i get it though when we were learning how to dive this would scare you to death we were in uh it was lake joe cassie in south carolina and that had the yeah. most murky water so we're, mm-hmm. we had to do four open dives for certification it was 20 years ago and we go down and you, there's no visibility. I mean, the visibility is yeah. your hand, if that, in front of your face. And so the dive master, as he's teaching us, he's basically tapping on his tanks. We had to follow the sound of him. So my, my then girlfriend, she she couldn't make it. She would like go up and she really struggled. She'd get all tight. And when we were yeah. in Fiji, unfortunately, that kind that fear caught up to her, and she and and she she burnt through half the oxygen way faster, and yeah. she had to come up. <laughs> in 15 minutes and i was down there like 45 minutes and i got to mm-hmm. play puffer fish basketball with some other other people 35 feet underwater <laughs> uh, it's uh i get it uh oh yeah. man i got i just got so many questions um <laughs> how about this thailand yeah. you said you've been there like seven times tell me a light and i'm gonna go back to the four-hour work week mm-hmm. too. tell me some life lessons you mentioned like gratitude but just some life lessons that you derived from Thailand seven times and maybe just other things like in your in your nomadic life what what has that done for you as a person as a human yeah um that's a great great question um yeah I mean so I think gratitude is just like is probably the biggest thing right that it makes you recognize the differences in all of the places around the world and every place has their pros and like and their and their cons right um that you know if you travel around like yeah i mean you just you just see a bunch of a bunch of different things and um it gives you a nice appreciation for like for 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 home it gives you a nice appreciation for like for balance and stuff that like uh trying to think about like different places so like for example you go to italy and the style that people have in italy particularly in like the smaller like outside the city kind of like kind of places like almost like the countryside like sort of like towns and like villages of of italy people are dressed so nicely it's like what they do right you're just like I, th- I thought everyone here was like unemployed, but everyone here is dressed like models, right? It's a very confusing, like kind of like kind of thing. But from going there, it was like I wanted to step up, you know, my like my my fashion game. I just wanted to dress like a little bit, like a little bit better, right? Like you go to like Indonesia and just like because um, you're well, if you're in Bali specifically, because Indonesia people don't realize just how big Indonesia is. But like if you're in Bali specifically, you're likely going to be like near the beach and everything, and everyone's into CrossFit, and it's like literally the healthiest place that I've been, like on the planet, right? And so like I tried to pick up some like some good like good habits from like from being there. And then like then there's thailand and like and all of all all of that stuff but yeah i mean i i think it's really just recognizing the good and the bad of, of stuff so like you know some of my favorite things are when i'm here in like in palo alto or just yeah and generally like in maybe not generally like in, in the u.s but in like you know the bigger cities in the u.s you can just walk into like a safeway or whatever the local grocery store and you can just buy like everything under the sun right like if you walk into like most places in asia like you're lucky if you get three flavors of pringles and like, not that I eat Pringles all that often, right? Or not that I care about the number of flavors of like Oreos, but there's just something nice about walking into like an American shop where you're just like, oh, like I can get single stack, I can get double stack, I could get Halloween triple stack, like 
triple stack double like chocolate. It's like, why do these things exist? But it's just amazing that they do. You know, but it's little things like that that you just don't think about, you know, like being in the U.S. or like, you know, growing up here and, and all of um, all, all of that stuff. Um, also, like the work life balance. That was like the other thing. Right. Is, is, you know, you go around and there's some places that, you know, make make like, you know, people who work in the U.S., they make it look like child's play. Right. Where you're just like, oh, like, yeah, we don't take we don't take our job seriously. And then you go to other places like. Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call out those countries, but then you go to other places and you're just like, oh, we're the hardest workers in the world, you know, like <laughs> so, so it's always good to see those dynamics. Is this is it safe to say that whenever you go to a place and you just breathe in that life for quite a while, the things that you recognize as the bad or the less than you're used to, you pull gratitude from those situations. And the things you recognize that are good you take those as lessons and apply them in your life. Is that, that's kind of what I heard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a good model of that you're doing traveling. Do you, uh, was that, is that intentional? Is that, is there like a life of personal development and growth that you, because some people just go and do their thing and they don't change, but it sounds like you're, yeah. this, this changed you. Like you're a different person. I've been very, very into personal development and personal growth for, for a long time. Like I, you know, came across it like my, you know, young teens or whatever and, and really like took to it. And so I've been through, yeah, a lot of that stuff, you know, I played poker and, and like, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of, a lot of guys my age that have like similar stories, particularly those that have ended up in like, you know, digital marketing or like internet marketing and stuff like that. Um, and so I feel like I was already kind of past that phase that like for me, I had been working so hard to get a business like Zen made off the ground uh, so that I could go and travel and like and all this stuff. But at the same time, like I also felt like I'd, I'd already kind of spent a lot of time growing and like in all of this. So like by this point, I think it was more, it's more just like a life philosophy. It's just kind of like the way that I've always kind of like, kind of like, kind of looked at things or that's how it felt like at, at the time. Um, less so than it felt like intentional, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, it does. All right. Now I'm going to pull the thread. We're going to go backwards. <laughs> you know, that, remember that movie, the life of like Benjamin Button. Remember that one? Yes. Yes. He, so he, he, he gets, he gets yeah, younger throughout so, the movie. So the, Amar <laughs> Goach is getting younger in this episode. We started with the modern day, no haired version. So we're going to go backwards. <laughs> so I do want to get back to that question. You mentioned personal development. Tell me, I know the book by Tim Ferriss. Oh, that's why I'm going to, sorry. I'm off the, I'm all over the place too. But <laughs> side note, Tim Ferriss was also afraid of swimming and didn't learn how to swim until his thirties. Mm -hmm. That was something interesting. So he wrote that book, the four hour work week, which I got a yes. hold of in probably 2014 or 15. And I, it rocked mm -hmm. me that just how he just, the way he thinks you got it. He yep. wrote it in 07. When did you get a hold of that? And what did it do to you? So I got a hold of it in 07 that I was right, part of his out. like target, target market um, that like he was like, he, he was like, okay, like I think this is one of the things he's really smart with is like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, what targeting do I want? Well, I want to sell to people anywhere in the US and Tim Ferriss was like, no, 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 you want to get it popular in LA. San Francisco and New York because the people there are what make things popular in the rest of like of the US. So I was in San Francisco at the time um, 
just or I was just north of there, like in in college. So uh, yeah, I like he essentially found me with his marketing, like right when the book came out. Um, so I, I must have been one of like a very, very early reader of it. I think I think I might have been reading his blog before that. So maybe that's why. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I read it, I was what I must have been like 17 years old, 17, 18 years old. So like, I think for a lot of people, like there are books that you read around that age that at least for a while are almost like your life, like kind of like kind of Bibles, right? It feels like it's more of like of a timing thing than anything there. It's like the right book at the right time. But for a lot of people, that time is is right around like around that age. So for me, it was it was that book that I read that and was like, okay, like, this is, this is, like, the life that, that, that I want, like, it, it, like, it always felt to me like something was, like, was missing, and I read that book, and was, like, oh, yeah, like, I am not going to be happy working, like, a nine-to-five job for the rest of my life, and that book just sort of, like, made all of those thoughts clear, so, I mean, it took me another, yeah, eight years from there to actually, like, build up a business that would allow me to do, like, kind of what I read about, like, in the book, but like, you know, I woke up every day thinking about, you know, that like that life after reading that. <clears throat> awesome. Because I do know that you recommend this book. You basically hand it out to the members of the Zen Made team. That Courtney mentioned that when I interviewed her, that you handed her that book and that changed her her life too. Yeah. So you don't just like the book and it, it's like you said, it's kind of the Bible for you and you you give it to everyone. I also heard something cool and it's on the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, you make book reading, you, you just say whatever books you want, you're on the team, get whatever books you want, put it on the company. Why is that so important to you? Softball question. Um, I just think that it's important that uh, that teams want, not only like want to invest in themselves, but are just like comfortable investing in themselves that just like, um, I, I don't know. I mean, for, for me, like, I think that it kind of follows like the general like career path or whatever that over time, it's like you start by reading a lot of books and then at some point you can afford more courses because courses will tend to be a couple of thousand dollars, right? Or like, you know, mid three figures up to a couple of thousand like dollars. And then at some point, I think, you know, if your career path kind of uh, goes the way that, you know, a lot of people like might, might want theirs to, eventually you're going to be getting kind of like one-on-one -on -one coaching, right? And so yeah. I know from my time, like having, having like started up that like, you know, there was a time for me where, you know, it wasn't even just that like I couldn't afford to buy like a book. It was just that maybe there were 10 books that I wanted and I couldn't really afford all of them. And so, yeah, it's just something that, you know, I mean, I, I have that like with courses, courses are a little bit more limited for the Zenmade team, but the Zenmade team can come to me and be like, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about buying this course or like if they want to buy it for Zenmade, right? Like so they can apply whatever it is like for Zenmade, then that's like an obvious yes. But I essentially want the team to come with me so that even if it's like, hey, like, you know, I'm about to spend $500 on a course on like, you know, underwater, you know, basket weaving or whatever, <laughs> we can, we can be like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, like we'll, we'll pay for that. Like we have that in the, in the budget. If you just want to be improving yourself, it's just kind of who we want on the team, who we want like to, to attract. And we want people who are going to be, yeah, take, taking advantage of that. So I read a ton or rather I listen to books a ton and, um, I really like it when 
you know, the Zenmade team members do as well. And I really like it when I'm able to read something and then someone else on the team reads the same thing. So I'm able to have a conversation with them. You know, it's just behavior that I want to incentivize. Yeah, it is really awesome when you're a part of the personal development culture and you're attending events and you're reading books and it's just such an easy icebreaker. You talk about one yeah. book, it leads to this book, to that book. And it's like, wow, it, it's just amazing yeah. how how deep you go. And then you end up with like, you thought you've read a lot until you walk out of a conversation with 10 more to read and it never ends. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It never ends. It's awesome. It's awesome. The personal development mm -hmm. is a lifestyle. And it, yeah. I, I noticed in some of the interviews I've done, I mean, everyone, as it's com a commonality of anyone I've interviewed that's doing well is they are big yeah. into it. Uh, one of the biggest I've, I've interviewed in the industry so far has been Liz Trotter. I mean, that, that yeah. lady absolutely devours books. She's a speed yeah. reader, world-class speed reader. I, I don't even, con I can't conceive of how fast she can consume a book and, and comprehend it. Like it, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, yeah, that's cool. All right, let's go backwards more. We no hair. We're getting towards hair, but we nomadic lifestyle pre-founding 17 in San Francisco. You said you grew up in Palo Alto. So mm -hmm. I'm not looking at the map, but they're kind of in that same part of the California, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're an hour south of San Francisco. Okay. Like, I'm literally going, going to San Francisco, like maybe an okay. hour after this interview finishes, I'm jumping on the train okay. and going up there to see, see a good friend. So yeah, they're close. So, so then maybe back it into your like, uh, you know, teenage years did growing, mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking 2000, you're, you're a teenager during the, I mean, the Silicon Valley startup. I mean, that was big. Did that have a, like, I'm just assuming profound effect on shaping and what you wanted to do with your life being in that, in that so, culture? So what's really funny is so like previously, if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, I would have, I would have said no, like not, not really that I wasn't really interested in startups, like didn't, didn't really care. But again, this is something that's come with like time and with travel that like traveling around has made me realize, oh no, all of the things that I take for granted and that like, and that like I thought were just like normal, like kind of things other people didn't have. So like my like high school was one of the first high schools might have literally been the first high school to have computers because I think that um, one of the guys from um, from Hewlett and Packard went to like to my high school. So they were the first high school when HP released like released personal computers like back in like back in the day or like or, or whatever. Right. So we had, you know, the early versions of apples that we were like playing with and stuff like that. And so it's more so like I don't think that there was any conscious um <clears throat> conscious thought in my head of oh i want to like do these things but at the same time it was completely normal for me to look around and to have friends whose parents were you know professors at stanford university or my dad was an engineer for hp and i think intel i don't remember the exact like the exact companies right but he was he was an engineer like for, for these companies like as well and so even though i was never into coding or into anything like that it was just normal to be to be around it, right? If anything, me and my co-founders stood out around here because we were the only ones that weren't looking for money. Everyone else was looking for money. And we were like, well, we are looking for money, but we're looking for yeah. it from like our customers. So. It, it, it so reminds me of the Bill Gates story. Have you read Outliers? Uh, yeah, I have. Remember when, when he's talking about the 10,000 hours 
and he's he's yeah. telling he's telling the Bill Gates story. And Bill Gates may or may not be, you know, he didn't maybe love technology or whatever, but at 13 years mm -hmm. old, he had access to a computer lab when no one else did. And yeah. so he, because of the access, because of where he was, and I think it may have been his dad or something, or he was, I forget how the story worked out, but he was able to rack up 10,000 hours from age 13 yeah. to age 17, 18, 19. So he mm -hmm. had, he had the experience of a 40 year old at the age mm -hmm. of like 17. And so how did he become yeah. so big? Because he had a lifetime of computer programming before he was out of high school and that yeah, access, exactly. but he also took advantage of it. So kudos to you. You didn't, you had the access and many people do where you're from, but you also had some kind of an entrepreneur creative thing to you that you yeah. engage and you <clears> took <throat> advantage of it. Where, yeah. Tell me about that, like that spark, like that creative, that that desire, like that entrepreneur spirit. Have you always had that? Like, tell me about that a little bit. So, yes, yes, and no. I mean, I I feel like I always felt like kind of like a bit more kind of like maybe like anti-establishment, but I always kind of felt that like yeah. school wasn't for me, and that like jobs just seemed like an extension of schools you know, like in like in their in their own way. And so like, I kind of always like felt like felt that. But I mean, I didn't really feel like until until reading <clears throat> the four hour work week, I had like a couple of things where like, oh, yeah, because I think that the best way to put it is that prior to reading the four hour work week, I was more focused on kind of doing things that I enjoyed and making money from those. And I'd actually found good ways of doing that, that like, you know, when I was refing, um, refing, uh, you know, soccer matches, I was actually making a pretty good hourly, particularly for a kid like my age, right? Like I might be making $50 like in, in an hour. And like, if I could time things right, I might be able to get in like five games in six hours and, you know, walk away on a Saturday afternoon with $250, right? I was more doing things like that. And it was less like entrepreneurial with, which, with, one exception which i can i can tell you about in a minute if you if you want but um after reading the four hour work week then it became a lot more intentional and it was more like okay no like i need to find some way to like manufacture of like connect two things of like find like you know clients who are willing to pay for a service and then find people to deliver that service without me having to be the one and i need to find some way of like you know building a business that accomplishes like that so that i can sort of like get like get this freedom and so re reading the book was really what changed me from like actually thinking actively like an entrepreneur versus mm. having a couple of entrepreneurial things like before yeah. that really the word like i hear productivity efficiency you were into that <clears throat> yes and then reading the book you're like well tim ferris is absolutely the master of productivity i mean that's what that book was it's like the ultimate efficiency of your life to do the things that yeah. you love to do so that gave you like the belief that whoa they're actually like you look at it in 2023 of course people are working remotely and working from home because a pandemic shifted yeah. the shifted the global paradigm of that but mm. up, up until i read the re-release of the of the four-hour work week like he did an audiobook where he did a whole new version in the in a, in a preface mm -hmm. ten, 10 years later and shared stories of people and even in 2017, it was still very much like, here is how you can work your way out of the out of the job. Mm -hmm. One remember the one day at a time approach until you're you're eventually mm -hmm. not needed in the office. And then global shift, everyone's home five days a week. So yeah. I, but he's he's the master of that. Okay. What yeah, was really that entrepreneurial thing that you did? 
at teenager that <laughs> tell me about you're not going right. to get away so with that one this was yeah that this was uh this was i think in, in how not to drown school. in shallow water yeah oh yeah <laughs> sell sold a course you know pay paypal me 9.97 um <laughs> unless they die first <laughs> yeah right how to how to value your life um all right so uh you know what happened was uh i would go with with like my um my refereeing money i think or whatever money i was making from like from coaching soccer or whatever it might have been i would stop by the uh, the grocery store on my way to um on my way to school every morning with one of my friends and uh i'd usually go in and buy a couple of candy bars and so these were the good old days where you know you could usually get candy like i think i think you pretty much always get candy like two for a dollar but then like um or like some of them would be two for a dollar but then you'd sometimes get three for a dollar right so like one for 33 cents essentially and so essentially what happened was one morning they like I bought three for a dollar and on the back of the receipt that they gave me there was a coupon that was printed out and I never really looked at those and for some reason I looked at it and it said one dollar off any four assorted Hershey's and so I went back and this is like one of those times where it's like oh like this is something that like I did because it made sense to me but like no kid outside of Silicon Valley probably would have thought to do this because I went back and jumped on Google and looked up what is an assorted Hershey's? And so it turns out that an assorted Hershey's is like any chocolate under the Hershey's brand, which is a ton of different, like of different chocolates. And so essentially what happened was I realized that a bunch of the candy that was on sale three for a dollar were assorted Hershey's that this coupon would work for. So I went in the next day, bought four for, for a dollar 32, gave them the dollar off coupon, and they actually honored it and gave me four like Hershey's for 32 cents. So then I was buying all of them for eight cents each and then promptly went to school, undercut the vending machines, which sold the same candy for like 75 cents maybe. And I was like, oh yeah, it's two for two for a dollar or like, or something, something like that. And just like cleaned up for like, I don't know. I think it was about two weeks before one of the PE teachers found out what I was doing. It was like, do, do, yeah, you gotta, you gotta stop this. <laughs> do, you, do you remember, <laughs> you remember in living color? I don't know how I know you're a younger guy, but there was a, you ever hear the show in, in living color? I've heard of it, but I, I never saw it. All right. There's the two, the two guys are like, they had the, the jewelry and they'd be like, I got mom. It was Damon Wayans and and his brother. I, 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 oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he like he pull up in his jacket and he has like all this jewelry and he decides like they're like mo yeah. money, mo money. I just imagine yeah. you walking in your school and you got this the like backpack, yeah, backpack. Just open up a backpack, yeah. open it up. Candy. It's like what do you want? What do you want? You want Reese's? Yeah. You want to, you're yeah. like, you get a menu. People like you become the school store. You're like you got some pencils and like. <laughs> all right, that's that's good. All right, that's a good story. I like that. All right, let's go back yeah. more. All right, wait, way, way back. Would you consider your childhood normal or is like single mom, single dad? Do you have sisters, no. brothers? Like, what was your family life like as a kid? Uh, normal, I, I would say. Um, I like the the house that I'm sitting in right now is the same house that like that we've lived in since I was about four years old, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, just mom, dad, like I've got a younger sister who's based in, uh, based in, in New York now, but yeah, very, um, very normal upbringing. I would, I would say, um, yeah, the main thing I'd say it's like interesting is like growing up, like it's, I think that 
you realize from traveling the world just like how well off and like wealthy that we are but growing up around here you didn't feel that way right that it's like you know i went to to a high school where you know a decent percentage of kids every single year would be showing up you know driving like nicer cars than like than than my dad right like we felt very distinctly like you know middle class or like lower middle class and, like maybe that's true compared to like people around here i don't really think that it is i think that's maybe might be like possibly possibly true if you're if you're like comparing to a very small like small area but even like you know within a couple of miles from here so we're very very um well off but uh yeah that's another thing that just comes comes with traveling yeah. it's just like appreciating yeah. that you know it's like i took my first uber ride 16 years ago 17 years ago you know like it's been it's been a while out here <laughs> do you with all that around you do you think like on the scale from one side total just total gratitude and just thankfulness mm. for what you have on the other side discontent envy jealousy do you think you were like leaning to the side of man? We're not where my friends are, or you were always balanced, or because it, it sounds like the 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 gratitude thing in other countries really helped you. That tells me maybe yeah. you were more on the "I wish I had more" kind of skit side. Uh, no, so so I, I think that that's definitely one place that I've always been very well balanced. I think that Silicon Valley and like the Bay Area, I think tries to kind of pull you out of balance there that I think there's a lot of like envy and jealousy and stuff that are around. And I think that for me, I mean, honestly, I think that the re reading the four hour work week, I think was one of the biggest things that helped to like to, to shift that I think that prior to reading that book, I really did sort of, um, sort of have like a sort of envious and like in jealousy. And I think after reading that book, I was like, no, 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 like actually like it's fine. Like there can be people that I know in San Francisco making, you know, 30K, 40K a month at like at, at jobs. But like if I'm personally able to make one thousand or two thousand dollars a month of course as while i was like single and everything but like if i'm personally able to make one thousand or two thousand dollars a month like i can live a better life by being in thailand than by staying in san francisco and working my butt off and like and all of this and so i think that really reframed a lot of like a, a lot of like of, of stuff for me um because the the interesting thing here is that even though i understand how wealthy we are like here like here in palo alto I'm not happier here, right? Like I would rather have like considerably less wealth here in, in Palo Alto, but be relatively more wealthy somewhere else than, you know, be here, right? It's very much that, that like, you know, if you're the poorest in like in the in like a really rich neighborhood, you're gonna feel poor and not rich, you know? And so that that's something. So I, I feel like traveling has helped it's helped me to define what those things are, what those yes. pros and cons are of different places, and to really have a good understanding of what I love about being back in California and what I love about being in Thailand, and also the little things that drive me like up a wall about being in, you know, in, in both those places or in the UK. And it's just it's having that that healthy healthy appreciation yeah. and like in gratitude. So yeah, you, before you, traveling, I knew I should be grateful, but I didn't know why. Do you think a lot of people you come across don't really have a true a true overall perspective of how the other half lives or the other parts of the world? Like you have a good perspective. Do you see that people on your travels don't and they don't see the world well, that way? What's well what what I think is really is really just 
interesting is is like if there if there's one you know big thing that i've learned on a personal level from all of the travel it's like not judging a book by like by, by its cover you know because like i've just had people that i've met we were like oh you're doing the nomad thing and you make all of these assumptions that oh if you're a nomad then like you must be xyz and then you find out that it's like oh like you know this person was like addicted to heroin like literally three years ago and just like is out doing the nomad thing because like they literally couldn't get traditionally employed like back in the uk or whatever like the story like the story might be and you would just never guess that from from meeting them you know and from having like a conversation and like and, and, and stuff like that so like it's really really hard hard to say it's maybe a bit easier like with tourists and stuff but even then it can be really hard um so yeah i, I don't know it, it's it's all relative it's all it's all perspective yeah. i just think that everyone's everyone has their own story everyone has their own background in their own history and like um yeah you just realize that like the snapshot that you see today might be a very very different life than like what they're used to or what their entire life looked like until maybe two years previously and you can't imagine any different but for them they're still like holy crap you know but so. it does it does take a natural curiosity in in us to actually ask those secondary third tertiary questions about their life yeah. not just looking at the book and the cover but hey what what's in chapter four because just like this interview i mean the first couple minutes i'm just i mean we've known each other but we're just unpacking and mm -hmm. i'm asking some deeper questions now and i'm thankful you're willing to share and yeah here, here comes I appreciate one them. here comes one now this is okay this is this is mom and dad dad's an engineer um First part one, what did mom do? A stay-at-home mom or worker? And and then the second part of this question is tell me one huge lesson you learned from mom and dad. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So my mom, yeah, my mom was more was more like stay-at-home mom. She was in like property management and stuff. Um, but she did try like starting a um a business um that she she did uh, massage therapy um for like for for a short period and stuff um and so from her i think my my mom was always the my mom was always like the really really supportive one that like my mom was always the one who like it didn't matter what me and my sister wanted to go and like and do um my mom was always was was always kind of there and like you know you know if you want to do it then you should like then you should do it and just like have fun try your best like that like that sort of thing where like when i got really into like into like the nfl my dad sat down and like mathematically explained to me why there was very little chance that I was ever going to be in the NFL. I, that's something I don't think I've ever shared before, but he was just like, so each team has 53 players. And of those 53 players, like he's like going through and explaining why, like there's pretty much no chance that I'm going to be like a starting wild. How tall are you? Dallas How tall Cowboys. are you? How tall? Five, five, nine. Did he put that? He factored in, and the average he height probably is... did. Yeah, like, Dad, I could have been Wes Welker. I could have been Wes Welker if you just believed in me. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. So, so I, I think I mean, actually, yeah, I don't know if I've ever, if I've ever like ever said that before, but that 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 probably like very very distinctly kind of like uh, uh, breaks down kind of like kind kind of my parents and then with, with my dad like unfortunately with my dad it was very much like a what not to do sort of thing in terms of what like what i learned from him because he was actually um 
quite entrepreneurial in his own right or but like it's more accurate to say that he was like an aspiring entrepreneur and so he had the very engineer like it's both an engineering mentality but it's also like a very indian mentality like almost within engineering like on top of that because he's he was from uh from india and um and so with with that he tried a bunch of different a bunch of different um like companies and projects and softwares but very much had the you know if we build it they will come sort of like sort of approach and like him and whoever he was partnering with they always like felt that marketing was an afterthought so it's like oh we just spent two years building this thing now we'll hire a junior marketer to go out and sell it because it's so amazing it'll just like it'll just sell itself and he pretty much repeated that pattern you know like four times or something and or at least that was my perception of it like as a as as like a like a, like a kid or whatever like i don't actually know how how accurate that that is i know how accurate that is to like to the last like kind of thing but like with the last one it's like you know he's very technical he should probably be the cto on like on most projects and he ended up being like the cmo like the head of marketing and like sales in like a two-person startup because like the other guy had more experience with them and they were just like okay well you're the co-founder i'm the co-founder so you're just doing this other role and it's like okay but like he's not qualified for that it's like you know maybe you guys need a third co-founder or like maybe you need to rethink this entire like entire thing or whatever and so yeah but i don't know i i, I don't know like where i got the entrepreneurial bug like bug like more more from but i i feel like i, I learned a lot from from both yeah the build it and they will come I mean, that's problematic in so many entrepreneurs. Yeah. It was one that stung me for many years. Mm -hmm. I mean, for for sure. Did that, I mean, that's a great lesson to see. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's unfortunate for your dad, but it has helped you boatloads for sure. I mean, so, yeah. so I've been involved in like these projects where I had the the opposite 80 20, 80% on the creative mm -hmm. endeavor and the creations and 20%. Oh, I'll tell people about it. Did you purposely go into Zenmade with an eight, with an with an 80 20 80 marketing and 20 creation or did you like did you take that with you along the way that lesson that's a big one Um so I've typically been like the sales and marketer so I've always considered that to, to be my my job so it was me um and my co-founder Rune, and the way that we thought about it was like 100 100 right it was like we were both going to give it our all and that uh, he did a lot of the product stuff in the beginning of Zenmade, that he made a lot of the product decisions once we had sort of defined what we wanted to build. And so I was spending all of my time doing like the sales and marketing. And so for the first couple of years, it was almost like a race between us of like, oh, like, you know, if the product's doing really well and the sales and marketing isn't doing enough, then like you need to catch up there. And if the sales and marketing is doing so well, the product can't keep up and like the product needs to, um, need, needs to get like to get better. So so because I'm always the one who's focused on that, I don't really have to worry about that, right? That, but it's nice because like, you know, now it's like my friends come to me because like they know if they have a good idea for like for a product they know that i'm the one who's gonna like go out and like really try to like market or like i mean obviously like i don't work on anything other than zenmite zenmade but when they bring it to me they know that i'm gonna put the thinking cap on and be like okay like this is how you approach the actual marketing because mm. um 
Yeah, that's definitely something they say, like, you know, first time founders worry about product, second time founders worry about distribution, right? And like, for me, that's like all that I think about at ZenMade, right? Is like the product getting better, that'll take care of itself because Could we have amazing customers. Yeah. Say say that again. So you're saying that the that these... Um, this this founder mind founder mentality is that they fail the first time and they succeed the second because the first one they do it this way the second time they they change it like say that again um, that was really good no so it's not it's not even passing any um any um judgment on whether they succeed or whether they fail but generally a first time founder will be very very focused on like what the product is what the idea is right mm -hmm. is like this is the problem that i'm going to solve and very little thought is given the first time typically to how you're actually going to get that idea or get that product into people's hands yes that's what it was is so first time founders think product second time founders think distribution so that how? generally yeah why why do they not think about distribution at all in the beginning are they coming from technical backgrounds like your dad or they just not know the value or both um, usually I think it's just not knowing the value, but I think that it's also like, like, I don't even, I don't even think that that like saying is, is like, I, I think a lot of people that like that hear that particularly first time founders think that it's almost like critical of first time founders, where I think it's more a natural evolution that like, okay. if you've never built a business before, the first thing that you're naturally going to focus your energies on is, well, like, what is this business idea and how am I going to turn it into a success? So if your first business idea is like making candles, then like, you're probably going to be going to be like, you're probably going to have arrived at that idea by thinking, oh, I can make these different and unique candles that I haven't seen anywhere else before. And I think people would buy because of X, Y, Z. Right. And so the whole thing is once you've developed that skill set, the second time that you're thinking about doing it, let's say that instead you're doing bars of soap. So similar but different. Now you're probably going to be thinking, okay, I have this idea for bars of soap. I've done it with candles before. So I know, like, let's say 80% of the details that just like without really bothering myself or like really worrying about it mentally, I know I can solve 80% of the problems. So we're going to take for granted that I'm going to come out with these soap bars that are going to be different in XYZ way. The next thing that I'm going to think about, and this is all like in the ideation phase, the next thing I'm going to think about is, okay, well, who's going to buy these soap bars? Who's going to actually distribute them for me? Are like all of the people that are selling candles for me, will they all sell them as well? Or how am I going to actually go out and sell them? And so I think that it's more that like the first time founder has all of that cognitive load to think about their product, where the second time founder, the product is usually much more of a given. Right. That for me now, I don't spend time thinking about how we're going to build some Zen made feature. Right. I ask the team, is it possible to build this? Like, is it within the realm of like physics that we can like make this happen? Like, no. Okay. You can't track vehicles to that because of technical limitations of XYZ. Okay. What about this? Cool. Go build it. Right. And so for me as the experienced founder, I'm much more spending my time thinking about how do you distribute the features? Right. Yeah, I find I find that extremely helpful. Thank you for explaining that. Especially, I mean, we're in the cleaning industry and yeah. there's cleaners, they pop up like I have a product, I want to sell a product and they want to mm -hmm. and I I imagine they go through that same cycle. So what you just explained yeah. can really help them and we hey, more than the more the merrier. If you got a product, bring it and go bring it to market and make our industry better. 
But what Amar just yeah. went through there is a really critical cycle that you're going to have to go through that cycle. Um, hopefully, I mean, they say that uh, ex experience is when you do it and wisdom is when you learn from other people's experience. So if you learn from mm. learn from Amar and just do it, do a distribution the first way, first time, yeah. or or learn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's one of those things I don't think you can like shortcut or skip too much. So what I would actually say is if you're a first time founder and you're listening to this, more so what I think is you should probably have like one or two distribution channels that you're confident that you're going to be able to go out and you're going to be able to take really seriously and do right. Even if you can't mm -hmm. guarantee results and you want to just know what those are, right? That I wouldn't be starting a maid service today if I didn't already know how I was going to go out and get my first 10 or 50 or 100 clients. And then over time, the business will naturally take its own shape and you'll begin to get leads from other places. But just setting up a cleaning business and having no idea how you're going to get those first clients is just setting yourself up for failure. Nice. Okay, next two questions. Two completely unrelated, but... okay. They are connected to the podcast interview so far. The first one, you did not become the next Wes Welker. It's evident. That's okay. However, growing up in San Francisco area, are you a Niners guy? And who are you picking for the Super Bowl this year? So I actually don't even know who's in the Super Bowl. I completely stopped following American football at some point while, like, while traveling. But I am a Dallas Cowboys fan, actually. Oh, that I, uh, oh no. Yeah. Yeah, no. my, my first my, my first first memories are of the Buffalo Bills going to the Super Bowl four years in a row and yep. losing to the Redskins, the Cowboys twice, and then the Giants. So like yep. four years in a row, they, they lost to the NFC East. And my first memories are watching them lose back to back to um to of course like sports memories are watching them lose back to back to the Dallas Cowboys. And I was just like, this seems kind of silly. My dad just always supports the losing team. I'm going to support the winning <laughs> team. And then they, they never won since. So, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I do like to see the 49ers do well as well. And it's not like I like I hate the Niners or anything anything like that. But I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, then you, heard, you hear it right now. This is being recorded on January 19th. So, Amar does not know this. But this weekend, the Dallas Cowboys are playing the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs. So, who do you want to win? That's at, oh, San, that's, at San Fran. Uh, yeah. At San Fran. Who are you taking? That's that's that'll be San Francisco. That'll be that'll be San Francisco. Because so like want I don't know, I realize I've gotten older. Yeah, as I've gotten older, I've realized I don't have any actual connection to Dallas. I don't know anyone there, right? Like okay. I, I want San Francisco to win that. All right. Well, yeah. whoever does win, uh, assuming the Eagles take care of business, I'm an Eagles guy I'm in Philadelphia. Whoever does okay. win, in, whoever wins in your town this weekend has to come hopefully through Philadelphia the week after for the Super Bowl to have okay. to, to yeah. make it Super Bowl. All right. Now that NFL stuff's done, the next, <laughs> the next one is back to this founder's mindset. This is something I wrote yeah. down as a note about probably an hour ago, and I was waiting for a good time to ask it. Um, I, I'm just imagining, and I too be totally wrong on this assumption, that when you're in this nomadic life, there are a lot. I'm going to say my assumption. There are a lot of other founder type people also living a nomadic life, traveling the world. And I'm imagining you finding those people and it helping to thrive, like some of like the, the fueling of what you're going to start, like the mindset of other founders, connecting with them, 
has that, if that's true, has that been a powerful network and have, have people like that become mentors or helping you? Maybe you met like someone that's been, you know, a founder for 10 years and you just met him in Thailand. Like, are there stories like that? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of my best friends are from a community called the uh, the Dynamite Circle, which is essentially for um, uh, nomadic entrepreneurs that are traveling the world and making, I don't know, I think it's 50, 100K a year or something in their businesses. Uh, and so I've been part of that for a long time. And I mean, like yeah i was just at one of one of my friends my friend's weddings who's from like who's from that group right that a bunch of my like my best friends are all like are all in that community now and stuff and so yeah there have been a lot of uh, a lot of examples like that um over over like the, the the years um yeah i mean one of the funny questions that i get a lot is um don't you find it kind of like lonely like traveling and everything and the the answer for me has always been no, no in large part because like i felt lonely in a lot of ways when i was living at home like in california it's like just because i had friends around it's like everyone's busy living like living their own lives and stuff and so you know when i travel the world now i spend just as much time chatting with my friends back home i have weekly like weekly calls with them you know on like on zoom or like or whatever but i get to surround myself now by going to places intentionally with people that have the same lifestyle freedom like as i do right, right. you know i mean it's what it's nine thirty in the morning now and i have like a workout scheduled in about in about like an hour right and it's like you know that's what i enjoy enjoy the most right it's not like that i work less hours than like than people or anything like that it's just that i can actually make my own schedule and work when like my mental energy is highest so Nicely said. Nicely said. And you just gave me a good transition to another another question I had. You yeah. met you mentioned work life balance in passing in one of your answers. Tell mm -hmm. me about your perspective on work life balance being as you were a kid, what you saw in your parents, and what it is that you wanted when you became eventually a husband and soon a father. Like what is what is the the life that you want for the work life balance? Yeah. Yeah, so my my ideal ideal work work life is to work maybe I would say ten to twenty hours a week, and to uh, yeah, essentially just have the rest of my time like available and like and 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 open to me. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that anyone would 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 like would would want that, right? Um, Not necessarily. Me, I mean, people love working. Depends on where they come that's, from. That, yeah, that that that's that's true. But I, I guess I guess the way the way that I've always looked at it is, my first goal is to get to that point because if I have the option to work ten or twenty hours a week, yeah. then I also have the option to work eighty hours a week. And so Absolutely. to me, it's the ultimate freedom to like to strive for that. Like I don't I don't see those as being mutually exclusive. That like I can work eighty hours a week if I want to, but. I don't want to have to do and then for me that's the ultimate like the, the ultimate freedom um but that's the work like life balance that, that i'd like i mean like when i was growing up my dad would oftentimes drop me off at school 
And then I wouldn't see him until maybe seven or seven thirty in the evening when he would come back and we would like eat dinner together. And then, you know, I mean, for me, it felt like maybe I would have like an hour, you know, with my dad, like in the, in the evenings and stuff. And like, you know, it was always nice, you know, my mom always picked me up from school. And so I always had a great time, like, you know, hanging out with her and hanging out with my friends and stuff. So I always had a lot of like family time, but you know, like I definitely noticed that my dad wasn't around like, you know, as, as, as much, um, you also realize from traveling around and from meeting more people that like, you know, my wife, her dad would be gone for six weeks to sometimes as many as like four to six months at a time because he wasn't working like, you know, nearby, he'd be going to India for like on-site projects and stuff like that. And so you realize that like, just the fact I saw my dad every night was like a blessing that like, you know, I never knew that I had until started like mm. meeting other people. But, um, I think after reading the four hour work week, I think that just planted that seed in my head of just like, hey, like if I'm smart about this, I should be able to find a way to build some agency or provide some service or some product or something that makes me a couple thousand dollars a month and allows me to just spend time, um, you know, doing like doing what, what I want to. And so yeah for me i think i just realized at some point that the goal was to get it down to 10 or 20 hours a week and then what i would fill the rest of my time with would essentially be determined by like the chapter in life because i saw a lot of my friends that were like oh like i just want to work 10 or 20 hours a week so i can just go like mountain biking like every afternoon and then they found mountain biking to be highly unfulfilling after a while that it was it was really fun what they loved for a while but then it becomes unfulfilling and then they become like aimless or whatever and so i was always more like no no the goal is to open up that time and then the job at that point is to fill that time with things that like that 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 have like have mm. meaning so um yeah i'm at that point now like with zen made when i want to be that like you know i have my busier weeks where it's like you know 30 to 40 hours very rarely over 40 hours but i have lots of weeks now where i can where i can just take 10 hours or even take take weeks entirely like entirely off and you know the company keeps keeps marching forward which is really cool to see i think that last six seven minutes whatever that was is a very important <clears throat> and very important clip the mind, the mindset of work-life balance. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Mm. Yeah, because there's people, all parts of the world that come from different families, different lifestyles, different eco socio socioeconomic kind of things, and you know, like that classic Midwestern Iron Belt mentality. It just work, work, mm -hmm. work, 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 and and dad, his like, what's the role of dad? The role of dad is provider, and as long as dad yeah. is providing it's financial provide they were not taught hey you also need to provide emotionally and physically and mm -hmm. with your time and many dads aren't raised that way then others or it's every part of the world is different it's really it's cool to hear that perspective and how it's shaped you uh, i want to i want to hear um tell me about your first mentor into this life that you live now tell me about your first mentor how old were you give him a shout out like you know courtney gave a shout out to her her cold stone managers, you know, who, who are the, who's a mentor you want to give a shout out to? It's actually a really tough one. I actually don't know if there's anyone like anyone specific, because I think for me, my mentors, which I think is true more and more for like younger people these days were like the podcasts that I was listening to, right? They weren't people that I actually like that I actually knew. Um, you know, I listened to like to Courtney's interview and she, she mentioned how, how like, you know, I, I shifted, you know, like, um, how she like looked at the world and stuff. And like, 
I went through all those same shifts, but it was through reading like the four hour work week or it was through listening to like the tropical MBA podcast. Right. Um, and like these different things that kind of like shifted. Um, yeah. I mean, I would say for, for a long time, my mentors have really, have really been like been, been these, like these, these books and stuff, you know, I mean, if I had to think about like the person who like changed my life the most, it would have been like, you know, like Tim, Tim Ferriss and then like Fran. Right. And like, you know, that, that would pretty much be the, you know, the, the two that, that, that really like come, come to mind, to be honest. Have, have you ever met Tim? I have actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I met him in a, uh, in a coffee shop in, in Mountain View um, way back, way back when that I've like, you know, I've done like sales and like, you know, gone to the bars a lot. So I've like, you know, randomly talked to a lot of people in my life, but that was, that was like the most, uh, most nervous that I felt about like uh, walking up to someone and just like talking because it wasn't like an event or anything like that. It was just like, I was like, I was on a date and like the girl didn't know who Tim Ferriss was either. So I was just like, kind of like, Hey, like, not to be like weird or anything, but I need to go talk to this guy. Like, you know, like you sit here and do whatever you're going to do. But like, I'm going to go talk to him. Like, you want to leave? You go leave. I don't care. I'm like, <laughs> like go, go talk to this guy. And so, yeah, he was, he was really nice. And he had, had a nice, like, nice quick chat. And like, I'd already started ZenMate at that point. So I was like letting him know I was like a couple of months away. That was about six months before I quit my day job and actually started, like, started traveling the world. So um, I was like, yeah, like, I'm about to, I'm about to do it, you know, in large part thing to your book so, uh, lo quite cool. i love it i love it okay here's <laughs> one for you in all of your travels are you yet famous enough where someone has come up to you oh my gosh it's a mark coach has it, hap has uh, it's, it happened it's, it's it's happened a couple of a couple of, of, of times that fran always likes to make fun of me because that's what it's like when i go to cleaning events right but if i go to cleaning events then like you know I've just been on enough things over the years. I used to do all the video marketing and people have talked to me and like, and all of that stuff. So she always finds that hilarious because she'd heard about it from the ZenMade team. And then she attended an event with us and was like, oh my God, like it's, it's true. But yeah, it's actually happened to I me. Mean, it more happens because, um, because I'm like nomadic. And so people like, you know, um, other people that are, that are nomadic will recognize me. Or it's like I go to some place. Um, I think my favorite one was actually really quite like quite early on when I was in Chiang Mai, which is my normal spot in like in Thailand. So this was in I think in 2015 or maybe in 2016. So it's like ZenMade wasn't very big. Nobody really knew who I was, and I was downstairs at one of the malls at one of the food courts, and somebody walks by and goes. You're a Mar, right? From the foundation. I was just listening to a podcast interview with you, like what are you doing here, right? Do you, do you live in Chiang Mai? And so like, I'm like, I have no idea how they, how they recognize me. I, I guess it was because it was an interview that had been recorded like two or three months before and I was on video for it. So, um, but yeah, it does, it does happen, happen a little, a little bit. It's quite, quite amusing. Let's talk about ZenMade uh, and I have specific questions about it. Okay. So first, 2007, let's see, 2007 and 2015, was that eight years of just kind of figuring things out, building it up? You said ZenMade started in thirteen, which kind of in yeah. the middle in the middle of that. Uh, tell me first uh, the two parts: why the you start you, you going into software? Why mm -hmm. the cleaning industry? And how did you get the name ZenMade? Those are the first two. Yeah. So. Um... Okay, yeah. So the first thing was just um, I randomly like read a thread online, and a friend read the same thread, 
we ended up starting a cleaning service, like following like advice from like from from this and not even like a book on like how to start a cleaning business, but just like, you know, a series of like of posts or whatever. And so a friend of mine and I started a fast friendly spotless in 2012 in Orange County in California. So that um, was uh, a maid service that we ran for it was about 14 months that we were working on it. I think it was open for like maybe 11 months or something like that from when we actually started to like launched and then, and, and all of, all of that. Um, and so, um, from there, what led to Zen made was after we shut that down, uh, one of my other friends approached me and was like, Hey, I saw what you guys were, were doing like behind the scenes to manage the scheduling and everything. Um, you know, I think that we could build that out and offer it to other maid services. And so that's where the idea for Zen made came from. And then the, the name for Zen made is, um, is i mean it's like the best thing that i've ever done there's so many mistakes that we made in the beginning and the the number one thing that we got right was like the brand that like we actually have an insanely powerful brand and it was just a random name that we came up with like the story of how we came up with it is like just not exciting at all so essentially <laughs> essentially this was like during the heyday where you know how like if you look at startups there's like all these naming themes right is like you know i think like right now everyone is trying to like get some like short for like you know for like a digit or whatever like name like cozy or whatever like it might be and they're trying to essentially like be their own like google right and then you have like at various times there was everyone where they would essentially be combining words and so it was like oh like a desk was a big one right so you had people that were like plumber desk, right? Or like gorilla desk is literally the name of one of like Zen maids, like Zen maids, like kind of far off like competitors or whatever. So at this point, one of the big startups, one of the hot new startups at the time was a startup called Zendesk. And so Zendesk was I remember the one that, that one. we kind of looked at. Yeah. And so um, what's funny, so at the time I was working for a company called User Voice and then one of their competitors was Zendesk and like I like the name Zendesk a lot more. So it's funny that a lot of people don't know is so Zenmade's initial name was actually Maidesk. Like Maidesk was the initial name that we picked off of like the Zendesk like name that we thought, oh, like desk is like a nice way of putting it right is like you're no longer using your pen and paper instead it's like you know zenmate is now like your desk or whatever and so we started that with my third co-founder from the initial maid service and so what happened was we had a falling out very quickly on which direction we wanted to take things how we wanted to approach development and all of that and so he had bought the initial domain so he kept made desk and like shut it down maybe six months after that or something like that and so then me and my co-founder arun we went back to the drawing board and we're like oh we were thinking about zendesk okay well let's try zen and so zen made was available and that's literally how we ended up with zen made mm. but now it's like everyone that we talk to it's like you know we've got an amazing designer on our staff now and he's just like you have no idea how easy my life is because your name is like is zen made like i don't have to ask you any of these questions like when i ask myself like what does like a character look like if we want to have like an onboarding character to teach people stuff like zen made i know exactly what i need to come out with for that right and so yeah turned out to be amazing that was not a boring story that was a good story. I've never heard it before. That's a good story. All right. When you first started to now, maybe it's the same answer. 
What is the biggest problem that ZenMade solved, solving, will solve yeah. in our industry, in residential cleaning? Yeah, so I think that um, that answer has definitely, definitely changed a lot over the years. Because I think for a while, I was just like, oh, like, you know, we're just, we're the best, right? And like, that's kind of what I would say, like, to everyone, I think is what the competition, and I think that's what you hear from a lot of the competition, like, oh, well, like, we're, we're the best, right? It's like, well, what, is, what does that actually mean, right? So with ZenMade, the problem that we're solving is that most people are wasting their time in one way or another with their scheduling and with, like, their back office, like, management. And there's lots of ways that you can save that time, right? You can go and you can use one of one of ZenMade's competitors. You can use pen and paper. You can use Google Calendar or Excel, right? Or you can use like a diary, right? You can use a whiteboard. There's all sorts of different ways. And all of them have like their pros and like and, and their cons. But with ZenMade, what we've tried to do is we've tried to focus on two things. So we've tried to focus on doing as much as possible for you, right? But the other bigger thing, and this is something that we that we focus on and it's been consistent throughout the 10 years that we've now been in business, is our biggest goal is making things accessible and easy to use. Because almost every problem that we solve, our competitors also solve. But if you go in and you try to solve it with a lot of our competitors' solutions, you'll struggle to figure out how. Or setting it all up to do all the things might take five or 10 times as long. Or maybe it'll cost you way more money or whatever like it might be. And so with ZenMade, one of the things we very distinctly like think about with every single thing that we build is how much complexity are we adding to the system? And even though we know that 5% of people are asking for this feature, does adding this feature, does that actually hurt the other 95%, right? Does it get in the way of the other 95%? And so that's one of the things that over 10 years, I'm still very proud to say that we have one of the simplest solutions that's out there. And for most maid service owners, you're coming to us because you're not that technical. You're coming to us because you don't live on your computer each and every day. And so like, you know, I'll be the first to admit, we have competitors that are more powerful than us. But if you can't figure out how to get the power out of them, then what's the point in having the power? Right. Mm -hmm. And so that that's really like what what we focus on and what we bring to the table at like at ZenMade is it's ease of use. Right. It's accessible features. It's not just it's not just the theoretical ability to solve like your problems. It's no, no, no. Like you check this box and we send reminders directly to your cleaners. Not you have to set up some API, not you have to do all these other things. No, just check this box. Cool. Done. So that that's mm. always our focus. So is that one of the core values, like simplicity? Simplicity. Yeah. Simplicity and just like ease of ease of use, but simplicity okay. really. Because simplicity is like across the board, right? We try to keep everything like everything simple, like in every part of the business. Yeah, I mean that's awesome. And you know your audience. I mean, you're you're right, maids. I, we're not the most technical people in the world, and and mm -hmm. we're not ashamed to say that. And so you recognize yeah. who you're helping. You're not mm -hmm. helping a bunch of uh, software engineers to get a better, you know, get more productivity out of their life. They would want something yeah. not simple. They would want the most yeah. complex thing well, out there. Yeah. And just, just to be like, you know, abundantly clear there, just because I hope no one like takes offense to that, right? Is I'm oh, not no. saying that not all like maid service owners are technical, but I think what we've more realized um, like internally is that if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, like I'm a software engineer and I'm helping my wife to build like her maid service is Zen made for me. Well, the answer is maybe, right? But 
we have a couple of competitors that you being a software engineer may actually be able to get much better use out of. But then again, if you're not the one using it every day and your wife is and isn't technical, then maybe Zenmate is the one for you. So it's like there are definitely very technical and very capable folks in this industry and they're doing some very cool things with their websites and stuff. But just because of how we've decided to cater, they tend to not be Zenmate users. They tend to be power users of other software. So I think it's almost more us knowing our lane where you know you go back 10 years when you know i was like young and dumb and everything and like just like you know i was just like oh we're the best why should you sign up because we're the best right whereas now it's like no no like we're, we're not the best we're the best for a very big subset of made service owners and like when we find those people we are all in on like on selling them but there's also a couple different groups that just like you know hey like there's better solutions out there that are going to better serve you right and it's like you know there's more more than enough uh enough business in this industry for everyone to win. Yeah, I, I think that's very well said. Final question, what is your vision? When I, I love hearing a visionary's you know, thoughts on, on where things are going. Maybe that you can share something that's a, a personal vision, or if you wanna share mm -hmm. something in with where you see Zenmade going in the next couple years, like just share something that's the future. Like where, where does your mind go? Yeah, definitely. Oh man, I've got I've got a bunch bunch of different different answers for, uh, for 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 that one. All right, the quick one is on the personal side. I'm going to buy a professional football club, a soccer club in uh, in in Europe, most likely in England. That's like the goal before uh, before I die. So maybe you and Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's trying to buy the Jets. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to buy Arsenal um, across the uh, across the pond. Um, for Zenmade, um, for 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 Zenmade. It's a really interesting one for Zenmade because like if you look around, if you're like paying attention and stuff like technology just changes so unbelievably fast that, you know, all of a sudden you're seeing now that like Google finally has like a real competitor, which I think for a lot of us, it's just like, you know, never in my life did I ever think that Google would have like a competitor. And now it's like, you can see that like, you know, that that exists. Right. And so things really are changing really, really quite, quite quickly. Um, so there's a couple of different, of different things. So the two predictions that I have for Zenmade, like going forward is, so first of all, more and more, we want Zenmade to essentially be like the central hub of like your business that you just open up like your phone anywhere in the world. Our goal is to help more remote made service owners, right? Of like, whether you're uh, like in-person made service owner now, or you're already remote, our goal is to get all of our clients to be able to running their businesses off of their phones from anywhere like in the world. So if you think to that sort of future, right? In a world you'd be able to open up your phone and see on a live view map almost think like an uber map and be able to see where all of your vehicles are in like your service area whether they're at a cleaning how much money you're making and it almost looked like think like i don't know like a monopoly map right yeah something like along like those lines and then of course from there you can click in and do all of the functionality that you want to but i have this vision of almost having like that sort of like sort of thing in there but then like from there like in a lot of ways that's not even all that imaginative or like that creative right like if you really want to get crazy serious like with this like with this stuff a couple of other future predictions would be a I don't know if you've seen like uh, this tool called Bubble and like some other things like that, that they're essentially these, these tools that allow you, if you're not a coder, to build apps. 
And so you're seeing more and more people that are able to actually build their own little like schedulers. So I actually think in the future, you're going to be able to like the more technically savvy people in like the maid service industry are actually going to use no code to build their own versions of Zenmade, but they won't be able to sell those to other people. They'll just be perfect solutions oh. for like their exact maid service. Customization. Right? Exactly. And so like one thing there is that like in a perfect world, Zenmade will be that, right? That will be the ones that it'll be like, hey, you log into your Zenmade account, tell us which modules do you want, tell us how you do your payroll, and the rest of the stuff all just disappears. Do you remember right? how QuickBooks, so you, QuickBooks Desktop used to be like that? When you when you first jump on, you go through like a yeah. wizard and you'd pick your style of business and it would build it out based on what you want. Yeah. So that, I'm envisioning that. Yeah, exactly. It'd be very, very similar, like similar to that. So that would be like one, like for, for like for, for the future, we'll see how far or how long it takes to, um, to get like to that point. And then the, um, the craziest one, you'll love this. The craziest one is, so you guys have seen like Google glasses, right? Yes. Um, that you have like Google glasses. Uh, and so my prediction there is that Google Glasses will actually be a thing in the future. It's just a question of which company manages to do it. But the key is that they're not going to actually be glasses that you buy. It's going to be something like a sticker. So you get to take whatever glasses you want to wear and you're going to put a sticker on like the side or on the front that's going to have like a camera and then is going to send information from there like to your phone like for whatever. So why am I talking about this for, um, for, for maid services? Well, because at some point you're going to have that technology that's going to actually be commonplace enough similar to phones are today that you'll be able to just require your cleaners to have that like on them right to have that like functioning and like recording at all times so this is very like futuristic like dystopian or whatever but imagine in the future if not only could you see on your phone all of these different things but you could go in and you could see a live feed of what your cleaners are looking at and are doing while they're actually at mm. a cleaning or you could get a live alert of like hey somebody just knocked over a vase and broke it and you could just click a live feed and you could look at what the cleaner is like looking at, right? So that's one, like, I don't think that Zenmade is going to do that. I don't think that that's like necessary by any means, but like just, you know, if you want to play this podcast back in like 10 or 20 years and see if any of these things came true, I'd be interested to know. <laughs> uh, all right. Well then what's a bolder prediction? The sticker on the glasses or yeah. the San Francisco 49ers beating the Cowboys this weekend. I <laughs> see I don't again I don't I don't know I don't know about the about the the, the, the football so I I have no idea like are what, the Cowboys what really is, good this year? Uh, no, the 49ers are the, probably the best team in the league right now. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, I'd say that the 49ers are probably safer safer bet. What's a shorter term prediction? So, when this when this yeah. actually publishes, the Super Bowl is already over. We, but it, yeah. and I, I'm purposely saying this because it just adds some humor like Ken that happened like <laughs> 2 months ago or 3 months ago. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, that's fine. But the glasses also came out, you missed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh Man, Amar, this has been a lot of fun. I've I've been looking forward to getting you on the show for a while. It's just coordinating schedules. So I reached out to you recently. You said, hey, I happen to be stateside and I can jump on. So, hey, man, thanks so much for just making the time to come on here. It's It's been awesome. 
Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. I've really, really enjoyed these questions. There have been some, uh, some, some fun ones and some, uh, some, some different, different stories that I've been I've told that don't, don't come out on most, most podcasts. So yeah. Well, sure. I, I mean, many guests and li listeners to the show are going to want to know um, maybe where we can get some Hershey's assorted packs for less than thirty-two cents. I don't know if that's available anymore. I can't provide that any anymore. Okay, is that is that an affiliate I can set up with uh, ZenMade to get some from free or or cheap Hershey's candy? Yeah, no. I I wish. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks so much for jumping on the show. Best of luck to you and the company, and I'm um, looking forward to to promoting what you're doing and let, let us know how we can help you. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. If anyone wants to learn more, head over to zenmade.com. Yeah. Oh, that was such a fun episode with Amar. His level of freedom, his freedom mindset, his founder's mindset. I learned a ton from Amar in this interview, and I'm sure that you did too. Today's episode was brought to you by ZenMade Scheduling Software. Would you like to streamline and automate your scheduling, communication, and payment in your residential cleaning business so you can have more time to work on building more profit and more freedom like Amar talks about? Check out the Smart Cleaning School's ZenMade exclusive deal. You get 25% off your first month of ZenMade Plus, and here's the exclusive, you get free access to the entire full library of 2022 Made Service Success Summit Talks and the new ebook, The Essential Guide to Automation for Made Service Owners. So that's a 25% discount on Amar's software service, ZenMade, and he's offering Smart Cleaning School listeners $276 in free education as you're getting started. This is such a generous offer by Amar's ZenMade team. So just go to smartcleaningschool.com forward slash resources, and you'll find our partner deals about halfway down the page. Simply sign up for a 14-day trial through the Smart Cleaning School link and someone from the ZenMade team will reach out to you and send your free ebook and summit talks. Then you'll get to test drive ZenMade for the 14 days. And if you choose to subscribe, you get 25% off that first month. This is a really great deal. If you have a residential cleaning company of any size, get ZenMade now. And if you're a solo cleaner and you don't want to do any scaling, or buying business software, and you don't want to drown in waste-deep water, <laughs> then just get access to my ISO model. You can optimize your solo cleaning business to earn over $50,000 profit, cleaning less than 20 hours per week without employees or subs. Get access to this game-changing training for only $57 per month in the Solo Elite Membership at Smart Cleaning School dot com forward slash elite thank you so much for listening to today's conversation with amar goch from zenmade it was a lot of fun have an amazing day thank you for listening to smart cleaning school class is dismissed <laughs>